Hey, what's going on? Connect Church PD here. I am so glad and pumped to be with you today for church. Uh, I want to say hello to all our online viewers, our on-demand viewers. I want to do a special shout-out to all the city groups all over the place. We are in Ashland today. Come on, Full House. We're in Marlboro. We're in Milford. Uh, we're in Natick. And we're in Framingham. We're in five locations today. Come on, give yourselves a big hand. So glad. You know, it's, it's great to be online, and we can feel the presence of God uh, during the service, but there's nothing like being in person. And I know all you people out there are shouting a big amen. So I want to encourage you, hey, join us as soon as you can. Let's come on back. Let's be together if you're able to do so. We're in a series, and this is the fourth installment of a series entitled One Blood, One Blood. And so I'm going to jump right into today's message. I've got a lot to say in a short period of time. We're reading, and our theme text has been Acts chapter 17, Verse 26, will you join me as I read this? It says, and he has made from one blood. Come on, everybody, everywhere say one blood. Right into the chat, one blood. God has made from, uh, from one blood every nation, every ethnos, every ethnicity, every people group of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has predetermined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling, the time and the place and the, and, the, and, the, and the time and season in history, he has determined that. And so whether you are red, yellow, black, and white, <laughs> you're all precious in his sight, but we all descend from one man, one woman, Adam and Eve. That's what we believe as Christians. But what we also came to learn during this series is that science confirms what the Bible teaches, and we, uh, we learned about what was called the Human Genome Project. It was completed in 2003. And the final conclusion was that we are 99.9% all of us humanity, the human race, the same. We're all the same. And so the differences, the distinctives in our appearance and and, in the outside is only 0.01% different. That is minute. That is so that is so small. And so the hair color, the skin color, the eye color, all of that, those differences uh, resulted, biblically speaking, from uh, the Tower of Babel, where we were scattered all over the earth, and, and biblically speaking, later from uh, uh, the Noah after the flood. And, and we were all once, one, once at one time, one people in one area, but then we were scattered all over the earth, to different parts of the earth, and some closer to the equator, and some further away from the equator. And as a result of those um, those areas in which we located, and based on conditions and climate and culture, there have been different adaptations to different people groups uh, necessary for them to survive in these different places and in these different seasons of time. And so the created, uh, th- this created the differences that, based on where we were that we see around us today in humanity. And they manifested in different abilities and different character traits. And they are not, let me stress this, they are not a result of some evolutionary process that is tied to our genetic makeup. 
certain uh, DNA markers. No. So when you see someone who is really good at something, a sports, a math, a music, or whatever it is, it's not because of these genetic code, genetic markers that made them that way. No. And so we know inherently that there, because of this understanding from Scripture and understanding from science, that there is no racial group that is superior or inferior to any other. Uh, there is only there. There is no one, in fact, that is better than someone else because of the color of the skin and the the melanin lens is what's m messing that up, but not the melanin, the melanin, the actual melanin in the skin. And so I've said before that the heart of racism is that these differences in our ability and in our character is tied to race and genetics, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, God created us all equal. Uh, and from the heart of God, we can see as his children, and all of us can be his children, but, but as his creation, we can see that none of us were created to be superior or inferior to one another. Now, as I continue this conversation, it's important to note that um, this is not just a black and white issue when we talk about this, uh, only, exclusively. And so many times we get tied up in this and we look at it through uh, one lane, one, one ethnic group. Uh, and so sometimes we overlook uh, the, uh, the Latinos and the American Indians and we overlook our Asian brothers and, and, and these other minority populations that exist within the world today. But for this Series and for this message, primarily uh, what happens within our country is that there's a significant um, issue in this black and white struggle over time. And I want to highlight that today and I want to say that, that, that that's important for you to know so that we can understand some things. We have made major strides in our country, but we have still a ways to go. And so here's the problem. And as I transition, let me say it carefully. Sometimes uh, uh, people don't fully understand. Um, we we kind of miss the point. We, and we still have work to do. It's because of the lens that we're looking through. And it's not the melanin lens this time. The lens that we're looking through is an idea. And the idea that people say and people state or people think is, but I'm not a racist. That's the idea. That's the lens that many people look through is, but I'm not a racist. And I want to say this to you. I'm, I want to say this even to myself. I give you the benefit of the doubt. But just because you are not a racist and I'm not a racist doesn't mean that I can't unknowingly, inadvertently uh, contribute to certain racist practices, certainly racist ideas that permeate our state, our nation, our country, our world. And so I want to give you a few, four actually, key thoughts that foster uh, racism so that we can avoid them, so that we can eradicate them that are still in culture today, still in America today. And I want to help you see them so you can see the subtleties that, um, that are within us and in our world today, and even in the church of Jesus Christ, and sometimes especially in the church of Jesus Christ. Because my goal is that you leave church today, and you don't think it's someone else's fault, or you, you're, you're, you've got the, the blame going elsewhere. But no, to those of us who are in the body of Christ here, that we would know and understand that we are called to be a salt and a light on the earth, as we talked about last week. And hopefully, all the things that we talk about in the next few moments will get you a little bit more educated and you adopt a new mindset you get some 
uh, I call it a heavy revy. You get some new revelation so we don't keep looking at people from the outside through these, um, through these wrong glasses. Last week I talked to you about the melanin lens. But today I just, it's this idea that I'm not a racist that sometimes affects our, and, and, and it makes it, it's an, it, it, there's a corresponding inability because of that idea to see things the way we need to see things. So let me give you four key thoughts or four practices that foster racism. So if you're with me, come on, just give me a high five in the chat. If you're with me in one of the locations today, just come on, let's just say, I'm with you, PD. I'm listening. I'm all in. I'm taking notes because note takers are, come on, shout it out, history makers, okay? So here's the first practice that can foster uh, these ideas. Number one, making important life decisions based on racial bias. Now, I'm going to camp on this one the most of the four. The other three will go a little quicker. John 16, 13 in the message says it like this. But when the friend, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, the spirit of truth, that's still him, he will take you by the hand. Now watch this. And guide you into all truth. Now I don't know if you realize this, but when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left us the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the Holy Spirit is here? And one of his responsibilities, a part of his job description is to guide you and to guide me into all truth. Romans 8.14 says in the Good News translation, those who are led by God's Spirit are God's children. Are you one of God's children? If you're one of God's children, say amen. See, the Bible tells us that we are supposed to be as, in fact, a sign that you are one of God's children is that you are led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as a child of God, should be your guide in major and minor life decisions. What would the Holy Spirit do in this situation? What is the Holy Spirit saying in this situation? Have I relied on, leaned on, uh, listened to what the Holy Spirit is saying? We are not supposed to be making decisions based on some racial bias, but on the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, too many people allow these racial uh, ideas to permeate our thinking, and it, and it affects our decision making. And pastor, how does that come up? Well, it comes up in a lot of different ways. I'll give you a minor and a major. A minor way that this can surface in our lives is uh, maybe where people decide to pick a church in America today. Some people are deciding the church they go to based on the, the skin color, the melanin level that people have, the pastor's skin, the, the worship leader's skin color, the style of music. Uh, does he use a, a, you know, a mic over his head or does he have a, a mic in his hand? And, and, and how, do, how does that all work together? And, and, and the racial makeup... And and the liturgy that supports that and, and the membership, you know, having a certain bent or leaning, people are choosing where they worship based on those things. But rather than what does the Holy Spirit speak to me? Where am I so supposed to be? Some people are coming to church and leaving churches based on the uh, this idea, this racial lens. I just I, I, I just need somebody who has the same skin color as me or I don't fit in because there's not enough people here that look like me. And I, I think that if we're going to churches, not based on what the Holy Spirit has guided us to do, not looking at the vision uh, of the church, not making and, and not looking at it through the lens of what will help me grow, what will stretch me, what will not what's comfortable for me. Can I have an amen out there? 
And so I'll, I'll, take it, I'll make it a little bit closer to home. Here's more of a major. But sometimes we're making decisions through this, through this idea of racial bias versus the Holy Spirit's leading on who we should marry. We marry based on race. Mm, he's going there. Whoever, uh, whoever you choose to spend the rest of your life with should not be based on your skin color. Oh, he's touching a nerve here. And we're going to get there a couple times probably today. And so I'll take it a step further. Some people would say that if you marry somebody that's not the same race as you, you've sold out your people. You've sold out your people, to, yet the people are 99.9% the same? I beg to differ. Just because we have a few external features or distinctions that are different doesn't mean we can't uh, intermarry. Don't, God, I think God would say don't look at the external so much, but we have to look at the internal. And, and this, is, this is a big deal in some people's homes. Uh, role play it. Like if my children, if one of my daughters came up to me and they told me they want to marry someone who is not white but instead comes from a different ethnicity, I hope, I would think, I would say, what does that have to do with anything? I really don't care about that. What I care about is, do they love God more than you? Come on, somebody. Do they, do they, do they cherish you? Do they honor authority? Like, do they honor their father and mother? Would they honor us as a father and, and, and mother-in-law to be? Do they have a job? Come on, somebody. Do they tithe? Woo! Now I'm really getting going here because are you feeling me on this? It shouldn't have anything to do with skin color or I'm spitting up here, so that means the anointing's here. Get closer to me, but I'm not concerned about that. We are 99.9% the same. And so a, a, a classic lie or excuse that some of you might have been exposed to where some justify this idea that God told Israel not to intermarry uh, with different races. That's summarily not true. In fact, it's dead wrong. And the Bible, first of all, tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. In 2 Timothy, to study it and to rightly divide it. So you need to be a Christ follower who doesn't just take what I say, because if you're just hearing what I say, you don't learn as much as if you went and fact check some of these things once in a while and study for yourself, you'll grow better that way. But here's what the Bible says. In De Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm reading in verse 1 to verse 4. Here's the New Living Translation. Are you with me in the chat? Are you with me in all the locations all over the place? I love saying that today. Praise God. We're spread out. and we're, But we're, we're going from a regional church where everybody comes to one location to a local church with a regional impact. And one by one, we'll keep opening up these city groups and spreading out and being where our neighbors are so we can love our neighbor as ourselves. and we can invite our neighbors to church and they're only going to be a hop, skip, and a jump and we're going to grow like crazy in Jesus' name because our, our vision is to multiply. I had to throw that in there. Deuteronomy 7.1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, speaking of the Israelites, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. Who? Well, he's going to clear away the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, remember that, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. No, I'm just kidding. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. They're bigger than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them, make no treaties with them, show them no mercy. And then it says this, you must not intermarry with them. See, right there, PD, it says don't marry with people of different races and cultures. 
And then it says, do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and, and daughters. There it is again. Are, are you, PD, what? And we, see, we interpret it wrong because we, we don't even finish. Because it says, just a little bit further, for they, these other nations, cultures, will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. See, it wasn't a race issue that God had. It was a faith issue. That's what's going to get you all sidelined. God didn't tell them to marry outside of the race. He told them, don't marry outside of your faith. Don't marry outside of this spiritual covenant that I have with you as my people. And how many know that there are a lot of folks out there that have no problem marrying outside of their race, and they definitely don't have a problem marrying outside of their faith. I'll just let that sit for a second. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That is not saying that you can't be in relationship with an unbeliever. It's saying you can't be out of balance or in the wrong influence. You're not the stronger influence on them than they are on you. And if you are, you need to back up, back out, get out, Jack. But a lot of people are because he's so fine. He's mine. And, but does he pray? Does he know, even know Jesus? Oh, he loves God. He told me he loves God. What about Jesus? Does he know and has he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord? So many people are getting joined together with other people out of balance and out of in covenant with people, intermarrying with people who have a different faith. That's the issue that God had. That was the principle that he was trying to communicate. And so later on, we don't have this generational blessing upon our children that is spoken of in Malachi chapter 3 that goes from generation to generation. Instead, we have children who are following the God of their mother and then, the, and then other children in the same house following the God or the gods or the lack of faith of their fathers because we violated what God told us to do. And so God is not saying you can't intermarry. In fact, I'll prove this to you. I'll take it a step further. It's, it's, it's not about that. He wouldn't, if God was saying that, he wouldn't stand for it and he certainly wouldn't promote the idea. But if you look at the story of Rahab, great story in the Bible. Rahab was a Canaanite, and she was a prostitute, and she was, she was on this list that we just read from Deuteronomy to avoid as a Canaanite, and she lived in Jericho, and spies from God's people were sent into Jericho to check it out because we were going to take it out. God wanted us to have the city that Canaan was our promised land. And so as they go there, they end up in Rahab, a Canaanite and prostitute's house. Now, she could have turned them in. They could have, uh, they could have been killed. It could have uh, uh, you know, delayed uh, the plan of God for sure. But she realized that the God they served was the one true God. She had some kind of encounter, some kind of revelation. And she decides, I want to get on that team. I'm getting off my team. My team's going down. My team's going to lose. And so she decides to hide them and protect them. And she helped them. And, and she gave them a head start. And if anybody was to come to try to find them, she would divert them and distract them but in return she asked that hey when you come to conquer the city remember me and remember my family 
And they said, we will remember you, and we will remember your family. But what we want you to do is we want you to take this scarlet cord, and we want you to put it outside your window. And we see that that you will be protected when the rest of the city is destroyed. And sure enough, the whole city of Jericho was destroyed and burned to the ground. And the only thing that stood was Rahab and her household. But what's so interesting is it went even further. Rahab then became... Formerly as a Canaanite, as a prostitute, she becomes, she's spared, but she becomes a part of the community, the Jewish community, the Hebrew community. She becomes a part of that family. Not only that, someone noticed her and thought, man, she's fine, and he wanted to marry her. He marries her, and his name was Salmon. Or you could say Salmon. I don't know if you say Salmon or Salmon. But anyway, Salmon and and Rahab get married. And they have a son, and his name is Boaz. And then Boaz, he gets married, and he has a son. And his son is named Obed. Obed has a son, and his son is named Jesse. And Jesse gets married, and he has sons. He has eight sons. And the last one, uh, the, the youngest of all, was named David. Isn't that crazy? And David becomes the king of Israel. And all other kings are throughout Scripture are compared to David because he was the greatest king. Skip ahead. Go to Matthew chapter 1, and we see the genealogy of Jesus from Genesis all the way to, to Mary. And in that genealogy, there's tons of men that are mentioned there, but there's five women that are mentioned there. Uh, there's, of course, Mary. Uh, there's people like Bathsheba. I won't get into that story. But the third woman who's married, uh, who's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus was Rahab. Why is it so important? Why is it so significant? It's because you don't get to Jesus unless you get to Rahab. Uh, let me say it like this. You don't get to Jesus without an interracial marriage. Woo! Wow. See, God never told them don't marry outside the race. He was telling them don't go outside your faith in me. Number two, write this down. That was my big one. Number two, the subtle message, here's another thing that fosters racism. The subtle message that black is bad and white is good. Black is bad and white is good. See, no one would say this, but this is a recurring theme motif in our society. And I don't think there's a way to truly estimate the effects this has had on generations before us. Uh, you're brought up in, and you're brought up in a home, you're told that you're black, and, and, and yet so much of society has associated blackness with negativity, with negativity. It's where? What are you talking about, Pastor D? Just indulge me, okay? It's the little bitty things, like Black magic, you know, uh, it's, it's like black cats. If, you, if a black cat crosses you, it's, it's bad. It doesn't say calico cats. It doesn't say white cats. No, it doesn't say that. If you're in a business deal and, and because of an association or relationship, you are removed or excluded from that, you are blackballed. Notice that uh, when there's a good guys and bad guys, the good guys are always dressed in black. And unless the later movies, praise the Lord for men in black, that really changed things and helped things a lot. But you never see a, 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 you know, a, a black princess, but a white princess. And, and until r- many years passed before you saw Barbie dolls where they were, they were skin color was on the darker side. And, and, and we see this in, we see this, we have seen this in Hollywood for, for, for decades, this typecasting where, you know, uh, pimps and prostitutes and gangbangers and, and poor people uh, all needing help, uh, uh, they always lean towards that. 
You say, I don't know about that. I mean, I grew up, I love these shows, by the way. I grew up with Sanford and Son. I used to love Sanford and Son. I, but, and, I, and I just got, I could do some funny jokes from that, you know, um, the, the, the arguments that Sanford would have with whatever this, Esther, you know. You're so ugly, you know, you can put your face in cookie dough and make gorilla cookie. Like, he would say things like that was terrible. And, and, but, he, but he was poor, and they struggled. He was a junkyard, you know, you know kind of owner. And, and, then, and then you see good times. Remember like good times with J.J. Dynamite? You know, he's the skinniest man on the planet. Um, and, and they had a, it was a good family and, and, and it was a good father. And there was things about it that were good, but they struggled. They struggled monetarily. And, and I think this leaves imprints on our black brothers and sisters in their psyche. And I think because of these types of things, um, I think that's why uh, one of the reasons that, that our, our black brothers and sisters instinctively look to celebrate accomplishments of other blacks. Because there's this, there's this subtle messaging that's taking place. And, and until shows begin to emerge later, I'm just using media as an example, but I can remember when the Cosby show came out and, and, and Cliff and Claire Huxtable, it was like breakthrough, you know, and, and people wanted to celebrate because Cliff was a doctor and Claire was an attorney and they lived in a big house in Brooklyn and it was, it was, it was a celebration. Uh, and, and people were excited about that, and rightly so. And then you had uh, the Jeffersons, you know what I mean? And George Jefferson, he was, you know, he had some issues, but you know, he was, he owned, a, I think, a cleaners, and he was, he was, you know, had money, and he was, and he did okay. And again, he had issues, you know. Uh, what was that show? You know, uh, I can't remember it. Um, you know, deluxe apartment in the sky. We're moving on up. We're moving on up. Come on, you know what I'm talking. If you're, if you've seen the Jeffersons. Write that down in the chat. Come on, put the lyrics in there. Well, we're moving on up, moving on up. Okay, we'll get off that. Even skip ahead later when we see the movie The Black Panther. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but people were going to the to the airports and they were buying tickets to go to, to go to Wakanda. Come on, somebody. Because it was just so exciting, the success that they could see, even that's not true in case you're, in case you're wondering, uh, and that's funny anyway. But they, they, they want to celebrate the success that is happening amongst their black brothers and sisters. And I think it's cool to celebrate that, and, 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 and they want to look up to someone, and, and there's, when somebody does something amazing, but hear me, hear me, hear me on this. Sometimes we go too far with that. Sometimes this ethnic group and others can go too far and we can have in a celebration of black positivity or or another ethnic group we can we can find ourselves in reverse racism please hear me i'm trying to be good and and and, and insert some humor too but i also want to make sure that there's balance in my message but we got to deter we, we get so determined i should say to celebrate the achievements of others that we then decide to associate with only a particular group based on their their melanin or their skin color we decide only to shop, only to do business, only to associate with our Brazilian, our black, our Asian brothers and sisters, and that, and look what happens. We just have these whole networks, and, and they're all exclusive. It's happening all around us still to this day, uh, and, and we should never, as a Christ follower, cling to, pull up close to, and support only certain people based on the color of their skin. And what starts off sometimes as a celebration and positivity can morph into reverse racism. This is why the Bible says in Philippians 1.6 that the sharing of your faith uh, may become effective by the acknowledgments of every good thing which is in you 
in Christ Jesus. So there's a lot of good in all of us is really what Paul is saying, but it's due to what Christ has deposited in us, not our race or association with the race. Romans 12, 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. You can think good of yourself. Don't let anybody put you down. Of course not. But don't cross the line of thinking you are now better than someone else and compare yourself to someone else. Look what it says. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Not another racial group. Amen. Amen. Number three, write this down. What else fosters this racism? Number three, we expect the world to fix a problem that only Jesus could heal. We expect the world to fix a problem that only Jesus could heal. Now, Psalm 27 says this. It says, some trust in chariots. Uh, we'll call them Republicans. Some trust in horses. We'll call them Democrats. But we... The true followers of Jesus Christ trust in the name of the Lord our God. I'm not telling people not to vote. I'm not telling people who to vote for. That's not what I'm doing at this moment. I'm just simply saying we exalt above democracy, theocracy. We, we exalt above the flag, the cross of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ. That's where we place our trust. And we should model for the rest of the world these, uh, these truths, and they should become self-evident. What are you saying, PD? I'm saying we should never trust trust or put our total trust in government, a program, a party, an agency, uh, for, and, and expect them to make the wrongs right. Mm. See, the reality is no amount of money or reparations could be made for the ills of hundreds of years of slavery. Couldn't be done. If government decided to give everybody, um, every African-American in the country, uh, every African-American family in the country, a million dollars, oh, it'd be some fun for a little while. Uh, actually, in some families, people would probably be like taking each other apart, you know, trying to figure out how to split that up and divide it. Be, people would be cutting and carving each other up, fighting over those kind of things, dividing the spoils, because we don't even know how to handle sometimes those things. But we need a different understanding. We need to stop... This is what I've learned, and I'm trying to share it. I think we have to not live for handouts, but we have to, we have to demand kind of a hand up. In other words, I, I'm not going to wait, and we shouldn't wait on someone to come in and save us, rescue us on some white horse to make things better. My daddy used to say it like this. Son, I'm not going to teach you. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, you know, teach you. Uh, I'm not going to give you a fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish. I'm not going to give you a slice of bread. I'm going to teach you how to make bread for yourself. That's what my daddy told me. Speaking of daddies, that's a big part of the problem. No dads. No dads. Do you know, I think we can only fix what we can fix, but currently in America today, 75% of blacks are born without a dad. That's not a system issue. That's a moral issue. It's not a racial issue. It's a moral issue. That's why I believe the church is so essential. You know what? Until they close hospitals... I'm not closing the church. The church is going to stay open because it's so essential because it's one of the only agencies or organisms that's teaching people how to live godly lives, that's helping families, that's supporting moms and dads, that's teaching and training and raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so why don't you, why don't you check out this video from a well-known Hollywood star and, and, and see what he had to say about this issue. Just check this out. It was something I read where you talked about your people from Mount Vernon saying that 
you know, like they've done like 40 years in a penitentiary together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, incarceration rates in America has been a problem, especially as, as opposed to minorities. And Roman delves into this, the, the issues around the, the legal system. Do you think we've made any headway? In the I think it's more important to make headway in our own house. By the time the system comes into play, the damage is done. They're not locking up seven-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was in Chicago a couple of three, four weeks ago, and we saw these little kids on bikes with masks on the side of their head, like five or six of them. And the driver said, yeah, they're little yummies. I said, who? He said, little, little yummies. Look up. Google little yummy. Mm. Little yummy was an 11-year-old murderer. Wow. And you look at his picture, you'll see the headshot of him, and he's like this. And he got murdered at 11 by a 14-year-old. Wow. Who's doing life now in a 16-year-old. That makes no sense. You, you blame the system? Where was his father? Yeah. It starts in the house. It starts in the home. And yeah, well, well, my father got locked up. Well, where was his father? Yeah. You know, that, 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 like I, I did talk about my three closest friends. And they did, you know, 15 to 25. One did 28, this and that. I was the only one of the three that had a father in my life, even though my parents were together, but I still had a father who was a gentle man and a good example, yeah. and they didn't. We can blame the system if we want, but they didn't lock any of us up at seven. Yeah, We were all doing enough to get locked up at 13. My parents sent me in another direction. They didn't have anybody to help them, and they kept doing what they was doing, and the system got them. So now, what we do know is that there is certainly a problem with mass incarceration, as the video referenced, but there's also a problem with just breaking laws. And I think, and I think Denzel thinks that's a home life issue. That was built on uh, a daddy not in the picture, and, and, and there'd, be, there'd be some issues still, but they would be greatly reduced if we could reestablish and, and strengthen uh, the family, and I think the church does that. That's why it's so important for you to be back in church, for you to be plugged in, for that to be strengthened. Another thing that comes out of uh, being back in church is you, you, you'll begin to grow up, and family life is supposed to teach this uh, with a value of education. A value of education. You know, back in the day, uh, uh, slaves would do almost anything to learn how to read. They would huddle around a candle at the threat of being beaten because they were learning how to read. But now we have trouble getting kids to school. And now we have trouble as parents uh, encouraging our kids to go to school. And now we even have parents that are going to schools and being at odds with the teachers who are paid to help our kids be successful. And I'm not saying we don't need better schools, and I'm not saying there are within the system that aren't improvements that can be made, but uh, we need to value education, and we need to make sure we're pushing our kids into this realm. We also need to value hard work, hard work. I think it's, a, uh, some people call it a civil rights work ethic, where there's like, a, it's not a handout, it's a hand up. Uh, we, we, should be, we should be pursuing uh, some, some of the, the greater aspirations of success in our life. And, and, and I find it interesting that you can see an immigrant that can come in from another country, and, and they have come from these dilapidated uh, 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 conditions, and they come into the country with maybe 20 bucks in their pocket uh, to their name, and in two years they own businesses. 
And it's because many of them have had strong parents who instilled certain values, a value for education, a value for a work ethic. And then they come here and they're willing to make sacrifices. I know one family, that one individual, excuse me, that was willing to live with 14 people in a two-bedroom apartment, not a deluxe apartment in the sky. No, no, no. They weren't moving on up yet. They were willing to go down in order to go up. They were willing to make sacrifices. And they were unwilling, though, to be the victim and blame the system and they saw this this land as a, as a land of opportunity not as a land that was still living in slavery and in doing so they're going to change generations for generations to come number four and last but not least and I want you to hear this one failure to understand or acknowledge white privilege and I just want to say this as a white man it, I believe it does exist in our country it doesn't mean that you've experienced it or necessarily uh, directly contributed to it. It doesn't mean that everything that you were given was handed to you on a silver platter. That's not what I'm saying. But when you look at history and you look at our situation in the context of history, you'll see that a picture is worth a thousand words. Look at this graphic uh, that they're going to show you right now. Here's kind of our, our history in America today. And you're going to see from 1619 to 1865... There was slavery, 246 years of forced slavery. And then in 1865, you know, there was this great emancipation. We're so grateful for that. And, but from 1865 to 1954, we went from slavery to segregation. And those two periods of time combined is 335 years of people groups being treated the wrong way in some measure. And so you could say that it's only been since 1954 to now that we've even started trying. And so when you see a system that, that was there for 335 years, I think 66 years might be a little short to fully change. Have we made progress? Of course. But there's still a battle to fight. And there's these subtleties that sneak in to our world today. And, and knowing this, this, this isn't um, so... For, for those that are affected by this, this is an excuse to continue to not be successful or to just give up, but it's helpful for all of us to see these things in context. See, we just need to see it like this. We need to see that some people in our sphere of influence and around us, that's the only people you can help or do anything about, didn't start off on the same starting line. Everybody else might have been a, a little bit in a little different position. Um, somebody might be a little bit more behind the eight ball. Not necessarily just black people. I'm not saying that. And it's not an excuse, again, to fail or to quit. But we must recognize that, that it has affected 300, by 335 years of intentional <clears throat> mistreatment right in our own country, had to do something to affect this. And so we must battle this together. And so in this next video, I want to show you, it's, it's kind of a, it's not a perfect video or whatever, but I just thought it just was so descriptive, and I hope it kind of anchors your heart. It, it helps us see this idea of not just white privilege, but just privilege in general, and how some people are starting off in different places. And if we have a sensitivity to that, we might work a little harder to help close the distance, or we might work a little harder in our own life to make up for that distance. So check this video out, and uh, I hope it sinks in.
Now, in closing, I would just ask if you would stand with me. If you're at a location around the region right now, would you stand with me? And even if you're in your home, maybe you'd stand with me uh, because I want to I pray with you. Because, see, you might, wherever you are, you, may, you might be one of those who started off behind today, behind the eight ball a little bit. And I want, you to, I want to help you get a fresh start, which is more important, listen to me, than a head start. It's more important you have a fresh start, a clean heart, than it is to get a head start and some kind of an advantage. See, the race that you're about to run successfully will be more successful if you're healed on the inside. If the wounds that are there, even known and or perhaps unknown, um, are healed, what you need is a friend that will stick closer than the brother, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so if you're here today within the sound of my voice and you're disconnected from God and you want to know him, I, I want to introduce you to him. Would you allow me to introduce Jesus Christ to you? Because if you could meet him, I'm telling you, things would begin to change. You'd get a fresh start, and then we can work on that head start. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, wherever you are, I want to give you that chance to surrender to just to turn your life over, to give the wheel of your life, all your hurts, hang-ups, and habits, turn them over to Jesus. Just say this with me right now. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I don't want to try to fix it by myself. I don't want to try to heal myself. I don't want to try to turn my life around by myself. Today I surrender my life to you. Come into my life. Make me a new person from the inside out. And now, Lord, because of that, as you change me from the inside out, I see everybody else different. I see them from the inside first, not from the outside in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen and amen? And so here's what I want you to do. If you just made that decision, there's a little thing down below there where you can click it. You just raised your hand. And then there's going to be a little tab that comes up. And we want, you, we want to know the decision you just made. And so if you'll text us, if you'll text saved at 97,000. If you just made that decision, text CCC save at 97,000. Now, as I conclude, I want to call everybody else in to a moment, a moment of prayer as well. And so just stay with me and stand with me still. See, as we conclude today, we're going to repent on behalf of our country and, and as a church. And truthfully, I've never done this before, and I should have, and I repent as your pastor for that. But we're going to repent for 300-plus years of mistreatment and segregation that has taken place. And we're going to trust that, that if we do this as the people of God, even if we were not the ones who participated, but standing in the gap for those people, we, the Bible says if we repent on behalf of uh, the country, God will intervene He'll turn things around. He'll actually even heal our land. Jonah 3.10 says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, they repented. He changed his mind. How many want God to change his mind and begin to restore our country again? In 2 Chronicles 7, you know this one. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will hear their land. See, I believe there's healing that comes when the people of God are willing to repent. I didn't do anything. I'm not talking about what you did. I'm just saying we're repenting on behalf 
of people who have sinned and who have failed as the people of God. And so I just, I want you to just open your heart up right now. And I just believe there's a, there's a power in repentance. And so would you, would you just close your eyes and I'm going to pray. And I just want you to come into agreement as I pray. Open your heart. Come into agreement with me. I'll just say this. For God, for God I'm just so grateful that you'd be, you'd be so merciful to us. And for many of us, God, it wasn't us directly. But there's subtle things, Lord, that we've allowed. And so for that, we repent. And in this country that we are so proud to be a part of, it, it, it doesn't have a totally clean history, Lord. And so we ask you, God, to forgive us for 246 years of forced slavery. Forgive this nation. Forgive our country for millions and millions who were hurt, who were killed, who were lynched. Horrible things and atrocities that happened. Lord, as Connect Church, we repent. Forgive us for years of those uh, Jim Crow laws and forgive us for looking the other way and, 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 and at injustice. Forgive uh, in the ways that the church was speaking out against and, and speaking with some kind of superiority over other people and teaching falsely, Lord God. Forgive us for that. And Father, we would just say thank you for the heroes of the faith, those that put themselves in harm's way so that we could experience the privileges that we are experiencing today. We are so grateful for them. Great is their reward. Lord, forgive the human race for the disgrace of racists and racism and racist thoughts. Lord, forgive the human race. Help us to see always the inside before the outside. Help us, as I conclude, to be the salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. I will see you soon. Thank you for being with us. Amen and amen. Talk to you soon.